Why on earth would somebody want to write a thriller with Hurricane Harvey set as the backdrop? During this episode of Cruise Through HTX, I'm joined by author Nishida Parikh, in which she discusses her novel, The Night of the Storm. It's out now, and you've got to check it out. During this conversation, we talk about the process of writing a locked room thriller set during Hurricane Harvey. She explains why she chose it as the backdrop of her story and how it adds a personal flair for readers. Nishita also shares her experience of being trapped during the hurricane with her family and how it inspired the story. She also talks about the challenges of creating despicable characters and how she enjoyed writing Grandma's character. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did putting it together for you, please, by all means, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and share with your family and friends. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man, Florida, with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Let's let you go pick Mr. 305, and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie, and it's time to cruise through HTX. I gotta know why in the heck you will want to choose something like Hurricane Harvey as the backdrop for this trapped room thriller that's got our knuckles ghost white and on the edge of our seats. Yeah, so I got the idea to use Hurricane Harvey as the backdrop for this novel after going through Harvey myself. In 2017, when Harvey hit Texas, I was trapped in my apartment. I was safe because I was on the second story, but we couldn't go anywhere. And I had family members living nearby who were homeowners and they were asked to evacuate. So they ended up coming to my place to ride out the storm. One of my cousins was even rescued in a boat, which I thought was so crazy. So we were like, at one point, five adults and two kids crammed in this one bedroom apartment of mine. We could hear rescue choppers flying overhead. It was just a very, you know, surreal experience. But Spoiler alert, nobody in the family was murdered. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> with this novel, I have to call that out. I ended up having a good time with my family. But the experience kind of planted a seed in my mind that a hurricane would make a perfect setting for a novel. And at one point, I did consider keeping it as a generic hurricane, right? Like it could be fictional. It didn't have to be Hurricane Harvey. But then my writer friend advised me that Hurricane Harvey has this instant name recognition. You've either heard about it on the news or you have family who have experienced it or you've gone through it yourself. So especially readers from Texas, I've seen they have this instant connection to the novel because when you hear Hurricane Harvey, it makes you curious. You want to read it to see your personal experience, you know, kind of brought to life in this fiction. I got to know what your family thought when you told them that you were going to write a a story that was loosely influenced by your experience of being trapped with them in an apartment. (laughs) Right. So I think if you see in my acknowledgements, I made sure to thank my husband, my in-laws and my siblings and parents, because I wanted to be very clear that, you know, the fiction, the characters are not inspired by them at all. Thank God they are all lovely people, not like the awful characters in the book. Uh, and I think that that made it freeing for me to, you know, create these really nasty, unlikable people because thank God my personal life is nothing like that. Yeah. And that's one of the things when you're writing and you're creating a really despicable individual in your mind people automatically go to, well, geez, who do you know that's like that? (laughs) 
right i think with this book i wouldn't be surprised if readers do wonder oh my god what is that author's family like <laughs> but obviously you don't want to read a book about a family having a good time that would be boring right so to amp up the drama i had to make these people really really bad <laughs> As opposed to asking which character you relate to, I feel like that's kind of a boring question. Which which character did you enjoy uh, putting through the ringer the most? Uh, so I enjoyed writing about grandma. She's the oldest person in the house. And in her case, the filters between her mouth and her brain, they have like atrophied to the point where they don't exist. So she pretty much just says whatever she wants, whatever comes to her mind. So it was really fun writing her dialogues and kind of creating her character arc where she's stuck with these women that she does not like, but there's, you know, she can't really do anything about it. So that part was really fun. I got to know the exact moment you decided that a locker room thriller was for you. So originally, I had not planned on writing a locker room thriller at all. I was just trying to write a family drama with suspense about two sisters that are keeping secrets from each other. And a few months after going through Hurricane Harvey, I suddenly had this idea of maybe keeping them trapped in a house during a hurricane. That way they don't have any choice but to, you know, confront all these unresolved tension that's been brewing between them. And now because my characters are Indian and family and community are so important in Indian culture, it made sense that we would have other family members also coming over to the house. So we have the main character, Jia, who's a single mom. She is uh, she goes to stay with Seema, her married sister. And Seema also invites her brother-in-law, her sister-in-law, and obviously Seema's mother-in-law is living with them. So then I realized that, okay, now I have this cast of characters who maybe don't like each other very much and they can't go out anywhere because of the bad weather. And I looked at this information and I realized, all right, looks like we're writing a locked room novel. So the hurricane lent itself very organically to a locked room structure. It wasn't part of my original plan at all. What I admire the most about the writing of this book is that you managed to write well over 300 pages and the setting is all in this house for the most part like 97 98% of the book is in this house in Sugarland so what was the process like um in crafting a story like this that's this long that seems so short because I blew through this book over the course of a Sunday afternoon because it was just that that uh, in, engaging, right? So were there moments, uh, were there moments when you felt like, ah, oh, I'm using that, I'm using that, um, that kind of style too much, or I'm doing this too much, or maybe they're, they're in the, they're in the study too much. How'd that go for you? Ah, yes, that's a, that's a really great question. So yes, in this case, because the characters spend the majority of the part in this one house the house itself was like a setting so I focused a lot on trying to get those details right and I wanted to make it like a bigger house so that even though you know they they are in this one location there is still enough room for you to have you know variety they are in the living room sometimes they are you know if somebody needs some space they are in the bedroom so that part was easy what was hard for me was keeping track of the children 
that was really hard. So I'm a mom, right? And my editor is also a mom. And sometimes she would point out things like, you realize that in one chapter, you've left this toddler in this room. Who's watching that toddler? <laughs> and it is, it's such a great question. And I was like, oh my God, I have to look after my own kid, but I also have to look after the kids in fiction. <laughs> <laughs> We talk about the process of getting it right in terms of uh, where the characters are, what are they doing. We got the kids that are uh, left unattended, but how do you keep track of all this stuff? Do you have a binder? Do you have stuff into in the in a software program that makes it easier for you to keep track of something that maybe happened in in chapter thirteen that you got to fix that? That way it doesn't screw up the continuity of chapter 11, or if you had something plotted for a future chapter, how do you, how do you stay organized? Yeah, so I'm definitely someone who likes to plot her novels before going in. Like, I'm not one of those people who can, you know, just write words without knowing where it's going. I like, I need to know who done it, uh, how it happened, and most importantly, the why. I think the why part is the most important of a modern mystery. So I generally outline by hand. So I would have all these notes written down about what what takes place when. And since I was following Hurricane Harvey, I also had to stick to kind of the Hurricane Harvey timelines because I had to make sure, you know, the water levels were rising by this hour. And by this hour, you had people evacuating. So I had to keep track of all that. So I was keeping track. Yes, I did have a folder at one point because I had so many notes (laughs) trying to keep track of uh, all the Hurricane Harvey milestones per se. And I also have notes on character traits because I wouldn't know everything about the character. Sometimes characters can surprise you, but I would have a general idea of what each person's personality is. And I keep notes of all of that by hand. You said something very interesting. You knew who was going to die before you started writing the book. Did at Was there at any point in your writing process that you felt maybe, maybe they were going to survive and it'd be somebody else? Or are you straight or are you sticking straight to the outline? So I start off by sticking to the outline, but all writing is rewriting. So there's so much fun that happens when you go back and revisit your drafts. So actually there was another murder that was uh, added and it happened during the rewrite. So things can change. Yeah. Love that. I think it's so cool that you're able to have structure Yet you're able to let yourself let let the I guess the your subconscious take over and let the characters sort of dictate who you're going to torture and who you're not and who you're going to spare. Yes, that's exactly right. And I've also been lucky to work with fantastic editors who can you know give you such brilliant suggestions and they can point out things that you might not have noticed. Like you know they can say like oh this side character is really fun maybe they can have a bigger role. So everything changes after that. What is also really interesting to me is that you're a, a computer programmer by day and you wrote this super creative book and I'd like to know what role, if any, did that career, your day job play in writing this book? Yeah. So interestingly, you know, writing computer code and writing a mystery, they have a lot of similarities they're both kind of like solving a puzzle almost. So in a mystery novel, you're trying to find out who done it, right? 
Whereas if I'm troubleshooting a software glitch or a software bug, I'm basically trying to find out which line of code caused the problem. So they're both kind of like solving a puzzle in a way, and they both have certain rules that you have to follow. Whether you're writing a mystery novel or you're writing computer code, there are these pre-established conventions that you have to follow. So I felt like I was engaging the same parts of my brain, even though they kind of feel very different. And the other good thing about having this day job is that it has given me this financial independence, which takes off the pressure off of writing. Because I would not put all my eggs in publishing basket because that is one fragile basket. So <laughs> I'm glad to have this job on the site. I want to go to a passage on, I want to go to a couple of them, actually. This one's on page one. It's Houston residents. Stopped dismissing weather advisories and promptly dialed their fears up to apocalyptic levels. Is that a projection of how you felt maybe in real life? Absolutely. I remember going from store to store trying to find water and all the streets were empty and there were so many long lines outside gas stations. And I thought, oh my God, is the world coming to an end? And this was five years before COVID happened. <laughs> yes, before there was the toilet paper apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> I forget, were we hoarding toilet paper during Harvey or not? I forget. We were. We, we always hoard toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, why not? You can never have enough. Yeah, you can never have enough toilet paper. <laughs> the, the other one I wanted to go to, Nishita, is uh, from page 13. And so you notice... I'm taking passages from the beginning because I, won't, I don't want to spoil anything, but this one just has so much humanity in it, and I've never heard it put this way as someone who grew up with a single mom, and that is, quote, single parent, pair, ent. It was the cruelest oxymoron in the English language. How unfair it was traveling the path of parenthood alone, a journey impossible to embark upon without the participation of two people. What was going through your mind? First of all, I'm just so glad you loved those lines because those are one of my favorite lines. Uh, my closest friends are all single moms and they are my heroes. It takes such an enormous amount of work to raise a child. I have a wonderful husband supporting me. I have in-laws helping me all the time and I still complain all the time about how difficult it is to raise a kid. So to do it all by yourself and then to have this additional layer of, you know, judgment around being a single mom, I feel, you know, like we, we really, as a society, I wish we, we did more to support single moms. So when I was writing that, I was thinking of all the great moms that I have, all my great mom friends that I have in my life. And this book is almost like a, love letter uh, dedication to them. Let's rewind. Let's pretend that this is a prologue and Gia before everything hits the fan. All right. So let's say this is July of 2017. What restaurant is she going to be eating at Sunday brunch with Seema and their girlfriends? Uh, I would say she's probably eating an enchilada at Jimmy Changas, because that happens to be my favorite restaurant. 
I love Houston. I love all its restaurants. So I had to make sure that there is a specific Houston restaurant reference in the book. So I made sure that I put it in there. So I think that's where you would find them. And it is in there. And Jimmy Chong's is really good. Uh, yeah. One last question, because we are coming up at the tail end of January. What is a one, a nonfiction book, and two, a fiction book, any genres whatsoever. So one fiction, one nonfiction, what books uh, are you recommending to people in your circle that my listeners can read or should read before the end of the year? The book that was hugely popular last year, uh, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yes. So that Okay, wait, wait, I'm sorry. That was the name of the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died? You've never heard of it? No. Oh, you should put it. Oh, are you familiar with the iCarly series? Uh, you know what? I am familiar with it, but I never watched it. Okay. So this is uh, one of the cast members. Uh, she grew up and she has written this book. And unfortunately, you know, she went through a really uh, abusive childhood. So, and she grew up uh, working in television, even though she didn't want to. So this is basically all of her experiences. And, and I really love this book. And I think I would, I would recommend it to all readers. So that's nonfiction. What about fiction? For fiction, I would recommend there is a book that's coming out in February. It's called Night Watching. It's about a mom who's taking care of her two kids. And then there is an intruder in the house. It is one of the best thrillers I've read in a very long time. So I would recommend it to all my NishitaParikAuthor.com is the website to go to get connected with Nishita Parik. Her new book is The Night of the Storm. It is a locked room thriller. You got to check it out. It is on sale wherever you get your books. In fact, the cover, this house, Nishita, looks like a house in Sugarland. Yes. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yes. Why are you taking a picture color. of my house? I'm just kidding. I don't live in Sugarland. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love this. All right. Um, thank you so much for coming by the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Mm -hmm.